You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. You like our bridge? Yeah, it's nice, isn't it? Uh, You can buy it at the end of the service if you're interested. Uh, It'll be available. How important are bridges? I mean, we don't think about them a lot, do we? I mean, we use them every single day. We put our trust in them, but we don't think that much about them, do we? I mean, if you think about it, we can go for long stretches of time not thinking about the value that bridges bring to us. And they're everywhere. We use bridges every single day. Think about that. One of the most iconic bridges is this bridge on the screen right here. It's the Brooklyn Bridge. And they tell us that it was, it is one of the most recognizable man-made structures in the entire United States. Most people know this bridge just by looking at it. It was also considered probably one of the most significant uh, structures built in the 19th century. When it was built, the Brooklyn Bridge was 3,460 feet in length, and it was the largest suspension bridge in the world at the time. In fact, suspension bridges was, was a brand new concept. The guy who built this bridge, John Roebling, actually built the uh, Roebling Bridge in Cincinnati. Some of you may be familiar with that. The Brooklyn Bridge began construction in 1869. It was completed in 1883. And it was built to span the East River to connect two cities, Brooklyn and New York City. They're both the same city now. But they were two different cities at the time. A guy by the name of John A. Roebling, who was a German engineer, actually designed and began the construction of the Brooklyn Bridge. But tragedy struck right at the very beginning of the whole project. When, uh, when Roebling was surveying on the Brooklyn side of the East River, he happened to be on a pier or a dock when a boat crashed into it, crushing one of his feet. 28 days later, he would die from tetanus. This thing didn't look like it was going to get off of the ground. But his son, Washington Roebling, actually picked up the task and carried it to completion. After 14 years of construction, the Brooklyn Bridge was actually opened on May the 24th, 1883. And the celebration was so widespread that they estimate on the day that it opened, a quarter of a million people passed over the bridge in the first 24 hours. Some said it was the greatest bridge in the world. I want you to think about that for a second. What's the greatest bridge ever built? Well, with all due respect to the Brooklyn Bridge or the Golden Gate or any other bridge in the world, centuries before this bridge was built, there was a more important bridge, a more significant bridge. Every Easter, we celebrate its construction. It is truly the greatest ever. You see, Jesus built a bridge. You may not have thought of it that way, but he did. To make it possible for man to reconnect with God. Jesus didn't build a physical structure. But what he did bridged the gap that was created by our sin. Did you know that most bridges are built to solve a problem? They really are. 
Most of the time, they are built to provide a connection for people from one point to another. They usually are done because they need to span some kind of obstruction. You know, a river or a lake or a canyon or maybe another road or maybe a railroad. These are all examples of things that create a gap that is bridges are built to solve. Well, there was a terrible gap between God and all of humanity. And this gap began because, because of sin. This gap was caused by several actions. Check it out. The first was going astray. This was basic disobedience. And we were guilty of that. The second was acting offensively towards God. This was rebellion. And the third was putting oneself ahead of God. That was selfishness. Our offenses, our disobedience, and the hurt that we have caused to God and to others has destroyed the relationship that we have with God. Sin does that. One day when I was, uh, between my junior and senior year, I was in driver's education class. And I had gone that morning to class, ridden my bike there, came out after class to find my bike had been stolen. Now I rode my bike all the way, which was a pretty decent ride. And then I got there, and to answer your question, no, I didn't lock it up. I had never locked my bike up prior to that point. But when I came out of the, after the class, my bike was gone. And so the whole way home I lamented, how could somebody be so insensitive and so hurtful to steal my bike? Surely everyone knew it was my bike. I was really bummed. It was a few days later that I found out who stole my bike. It was a guy I was in the class with. So a friend of mine drove me by his house, and you know what? Sure enough, right there in the front yard was my bike. So I got out of the car and got on it and rode it home. (laughs) It's technically not stealing if it's yours. Do you know that the guy who stole my bike basically avoided me for almost the entire senior year of school that we had together? That's what sin does. It wrecks relationships. And our sin had ruined our relationship with God. When we look around, much of the world is in a mess. It's not that way everywhere, but most places. And it wasn't the way that it was designed. You see, God was, made this, this world different at the very beginning. He had created this beautiful, wonderful, awesome, perfect place. And then he put people into it to live in harmony and peace with one another and with him. But something happened. We read about it in Genesis, the third chapter. Satan shows up at the Garden of Eden, panacea, utopia. He shows up there as a snake, or some translations call him a serpent. And he came with one specific purpose, to tempt Adam and Eve The snake said to the woman, did God really say that you can't eat from any of these trees in the garden? Which is not what God had said. And this is what the woman said. Check it out. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. 
You won't die, the, the snake said. You won't die. God knows that if you eat from it, you'll be just like him, knowing good and evil. So look what happened. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. God had given them one rule. Don't eat from this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But he also gave them the freedom of choice, the freedom to choose. You see, when they ate the forbidden fruit, sin entered into the world, and that's when the very first gap between God and man was formed. Then they heard the Lord, and he was walking in the garden, and so they hid from him. And then God asked them, have you, have you eaten from the tree that I told you not to eat from? And they admitted to it, and it was then that they were separated from God. This was a seismic spiritual event that is still being felt even today. And it was all caused by sin. Here's the problem. Our sin separates us from God. And this is significant because the best place to be in the whole world, the entire universe, if you will, is in community with God. That's why it was so necessary that Jesus would come into the world to bridge this gap. Jesus came to reverse the effects of sin. Paul said it about as simply as you can. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He was the remedy for the problem. Now, how bad was the problem? Well, listen to what Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 3. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's an epidemic right there. That's a problem. And we all are affected by it. But it gets worse than that. Look what Romans 6.23 says. For the wages of sin is death. So we're all infected by this thing called sin. We're all affected by that. And the punishment, the payment, is death. But before you lose all hope, let's finish verse 23. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God said, death is the penalty, but Jesus is the remedy. He's the solution. He's the antidote. Jesus came to restore fallen man to an eternal righteousness and back into a fellowship with God. He came to bridge the gap. You see, somebody needed to do something, and Jesus was that perfect somebody. I had a great part-time job in high school. I worked for a trucking company called Sunrise Dairy, and my very first real job was washing 18-wheelers, trucks very similar to this. And one of the things that was interesting was my boss got tired of moving trucks in and out of the, of the wash bay, so he taught me how to drive the tractor portion, this front, what most people call the truck part of the, of the rig. And eventually, he taught me how to drive an entire 18-wheeler. Not bad for a guy that started there without a driver's license, you know. I actually learned to drive this part of the truck before I actually got my driver's license. Shh, don't tell anybody. One day, while I was at work, I was informed that someone had hit a transformer. You know those green boxes that are mounted on a cement slab? 
Someone had hit a transformer with a trailer. See, when you turn a trailer, when you turn one of these rigs, the trailer cuts that corner a little tighter than the truck part does. And they were pretty sure that it was me. And they informed me I was lucky that I didn't blow up because they thought that maybe the transformer would blow up. I don't know if that's true or not. But then they also informed me that I was going to be responsible for having the transformer put back on the slab. And that was going to cost about (laughs) $1,000. I had no idea if I did it or didn't, what they said I did. But I did know one thing. I did not have $1,000. So that day when I got, my dad got home later that evening, he and I had a conversation. I told him what had happened. And so he picked up the phone and he called the owner. You see, my dad had been doing moonlight work for this company for a number of years. And they would often even call him, even even after they got their own head mechanic. They would call my dad and ask him for his input or his advice. And my dad reminded the owner that he hardly ever, if, if ever, had charged them for that advice. To which the owner said, hey, tell the kid he doesn't have to worry about that $1,000. I needed somebody who could help. I was in big trouble because I didn't have the money. But my dad just picked up the phone call and be, picked up the phone and made a call because of his relationship with the owner. He could do that, and he was able to fix my problem. Jesus was uniquely qualified to bridge our sin gap because he was sinless. He was able to be the perfect sacrifice that bridged the problem for our sins. John explains how qualified Jesus actually was in 1 John 2, 1 and 2. He says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, and we know that all sin, so there's a bit of irony here, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. First John calls Jesus our advocate. The Greek word is parakletos, or some of you may have heard the word paraclete. It means to comfort, to encourage. It's referring to aid of any kind. The Greeks use it to refer to a, a, a proxy or a legal advisor or one who comes alongside to help. We could see Jesus in John's terminology as our defense attorney before the Father in heaven. And then he goes on and he calls Jesus the atoning sacrifice. Some of you, if you were to look up your Bible at home, you may have, if you have an older translation, the word propitiation there. It's not a word we use very often. But it means an offering that turns away wrath. Among pagans in that first century, this term was used to, when appeasing the angry or upset deities the pagan gods. However, the term means something a little different in the Bible. Earlier in John's letter of 1 John, he writes these words, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. On the cross, Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice to pay the price for our sins, which fulfilled the Old Testament requirement for blood to cover sin. 
Jesus is the propitiation. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sin because his death satisfied the wrath of God. God had a hate for sin. He was wrathful towards sin. But it also paid the death penalty for those sins. See, the work of Jesus that he did on the cross is where the barrier of sin separating man and God got bridged. I love this picture. Jesus built the bridge on the cross. He bridged the gap that separated God and man by washing away our sins. If we have any hope of going to heaven to be with God, if we have any hope of having our sins washed away, then someone had to deal with our sin. Somebody needed to do something in order to restore our relationship with God because we couldn't fix it. In fact, the best word to describe us in that moment was hopeless. So God sent his son into the world for the very purpose of building a bridge. Now, why did he do that? Why did Jesus do this? Why go to such an extreme for us? Why would Jesus die for us? One word. Love. God loved us. God loves you. Here's the key point. When you talk about love, it's important to recognize. Love will suffer to save. Love will go to great lengths to save. It will. It's said that during the time of the famous English military and political leader, Oliver Cromwell, that there was a young soldier in his command in England who fell asleep while at his guard post. He was tried in the military court and sentenced to death. His punishment was he was to be shot at curfew. Hearing about this, the young soldier's fiance climbed into the bell tower several hours before curfew and tied herself to the huge bell's clapper. When curfew came, the attendant pulled the bell's rope only to hear muffled sounds coming from the tower. Cromwell demanded to know why the bell was not ringing. His soldiers went to investigate and they returned with this young woman. She was battered, badly cut, bruised, from being slung back and forth against the huge bell. Cromwell, they said, was so moved by her willingness to suffer on behalf of someone who she loved that he released the soldier, commuting his sentence. They said that Cromwell said, curfew will not ring tonight. Love is willing to suffer. It will go to great lengths motivated by something that's difficult to describe. Love. It's powerful. It's powerful. Because of love, people do extraordinary things for others. And it gives us just a little glimpse into what God did, the kind of love that God has for us. Think about it. God the Father sent his dearly loved son into dangerous territory. He allowed him to be mistreated cruelly. He stood by and he watched his innocent son being nailed to a cross and then hang there in agony. But instead, he, he could have, as the old hymn says, called 10,000 angels, you know, to rescue him. 
He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. God could have intervened, but he didn't. He allowed his son to carry the sins of all humanity and become repulsive even to his own father. I don't think any of us fully can understand or appreciate what it meant for the father to turn his back on his son and let him die at the hands of evil people. You see, God did that for us. He did all of this because of his love for you and for me. Paul writes in Romans 5, verses 8 and 10, he said, God has shown us, God has shown us how much he loves us. It was while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. We were God's enemies, but he made us his friends through the death of his son. That's how much God loves us. Jesus died for us, even though the truth is we didn't deserve any of it. His death bridged the gap of sin to make us God's friends again. Some of you may be sitting here thinking, you know, I get it, but it can't be that easy. Well, it actually is. Listen to what Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy, the second chapter. He says, this is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. Paul says there in the first part of that text, God our Savior wants all people to be saved, to come to a knowledge of the truth. And he's showing in this the scope of God's God's redemptive activity. It's universal. It's for everyone. This offer of forgiveness in heaven is available to every single person who breathes air and lives on this planet. God's desire is for all people. He wants them to be saved. Everyone. And that includes you. Peter explains this idea a little further, a little deeper. In 2 Peter 3.9, he says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It's God's desire, his intention, that everyone would be saved. Yet, here's the deal. He doesn't force you to accept his offer to forgive and to give eternal life. And just like the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, he gives every person the freedom to believe or not to believe. He'll never force you to accept this. Well, our text again, he goes on, he says, for there is one God and one mediator. That's an important word here. One mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This this now has been witnessed to at the proper time. Here Paul stresses there is only one mediator between God and humanity, and the mediator is Jesus. Now, you know what a mediator is. That's the person who attempts to help people involved in conflict to find some resolution or agreement. Jesus, simply put, came to fix the problem. Now here the concept of the mediator gets developed a little further with the, with the term he uses, ransom. The ransom offered through Jesus' death. 
Jesus actually was paying the price. He was the mediator, but he was also the one willing to pay the price. Jesus was the one who alone was in a position to provide redemption for sin. And he paid the ransom with his own life. In 1974, one of the highest ransoms ever paid in modern times was paid to kidnappers to secure the release of these two brothers, Jorge and Juan Born. The two of them were heirs of one of the greatest fortunes in the country of Argentina. The ransom that was paid for these two men after nine months of being held hostage was $60 million in 1974. That would be equivalent to $293 million today. Now here's the question I'm wondering. Would you be willing to pay what, what would you be willing to pay in ransom for one of your children? Or what about your spouse? What about your mother-in-law? Do those numbers go down? Maybe the bigger question is, what would your family be willing to pay in ransom for your release? Some of you, some of you need to know this. As Paul said, Jesus paid your ransom. It's already been paid. You don't have to live under sin anymore. You just have to accept it. His ransom was to be for all people, Paul said. And yet many in here will find it hard to believe that this would include you. Let me see if I can explain it this way. Right before the message, there was a video with this bridge. They were building this bridge. This is the Bay Pan Zhong Bridge. And it's in western China. And if you, go, if you look at the next picture, you'll see the scope of this. This is the Empire State Building. That's 102 stories. The Bay Pan Zhong Bridge is the highest bridge in the world. Now, if you look at the next picture, you'll see a picture of that canyon without the bridge there. And I can't, I wonder how they got the idea to put that bridge there. You know, somebody probably said, wouldn't it be great if we had a bridge right there? And somebody said, that would be great. Then we wouldn't have to go all the way down this huge canyon and back up the other side. That's a lot of work. What if we had a bridge right there? And then somebody for years said, that's impossible. That'll never work. You have no idea. But then somebody else would say, yeah, but how cool would it be if there was that bridge right there and everybody get all jazzed up and then that same person or maybe their son, because they've died already because they were so negative, they said it could never happen. And some of you think of your sin that way. You think, I wish I could start with a clean slate, but that's just not possible. You don't know all the bad things I've done in my life. You don't know all the wreckage that's in the past that I'm responsible for. You just have no idea. It's just not possible. But Jesus died so that everyone might live, no matter how much baggage, no matter how far you might be from God right now. That includes even you. Even you. When I started this talk, we were talking about the Brooklyn Bridge and I wanted to tell you just how much it cost to build that bridge. When it was, when it was completed in 1883, it had a cost of $15.5 million. 
that is a little over $403 million in money today. That's a pretty expensive bridge. But the cost was a whole lot higher than just $15.5 million. I told you that John Roebling died. He was the first fatality of the construction. Historian David McCullough estimates that during the construction, approximately 27 workers died from falls or from falling debris or other disasters that happened. And dozens and dozens more suffered debilitating injuries during the construction. The cost of building the Brooklyn Bridge was far greater than $15.5 million. You know, the cost of the bridge that Jesus built on the cross was even more significant because God sent his own son. God sent his own son on a rescue mission to atone for your sin and for my sin, even though neither of us were, in des- were deserving of it. And then he made this gift of redemption available free to every single person who would accept it. And above and beyond all of that, God says the power that brought Jesus back from the grave will be applied to your life as well, and you will be resurrected also for all eternity. You see, the tomb was empty on that first Easter morning. Not only Jesus died on the cross, but he rose from the dead. Death could not hold him. And if you put your faith in him, death won't hold you either. Here's the amazing part. Jesus is all that you need. Period. This is an extraordinary faith that we're part of. Because we have an extraordinary Savior who not only died on a cross for us, but he rose from the dead. And those two things are what make this bridge that he built the greatest bridge ever. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much for bridging the gap caused by our sins. All of us are sinners, and the punishment for our sin, as your word tells us, is death. But because of your love for us, you went to great lengths, and you paid a tremendous price to offer us salvation. And I am so grateful for that today, God. Lord, I want to pray for every person in this room today. I, I first want to pray for those who have accepted your forgiveness in the past and They have been running this race of life, representing you so well. Lord, I pray that they would know your favor today and that you would bless them in their race. God, I also want to pray for those who have been committing, have committed themselves to you in the past, but life has gotten in the way and they have not been running the race the way they should. I pray that they will reconnect with you this morning by recommitting their life and living with you and for you in the days to come. Lord, I also want to pray for those who haven't yet taken you up on the offer that you have, that you would wash away their sins and give them a renewed relationship with you and eternal life in heaven. I pray today would be the day that they recognize that their sins can be washed away and they can have a fresh start. I pray, Lord, that that would be today. Lord, thank you for building a bridge. Building a bridge for us 
Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the empty tomb. We pray.